So um, the title of my message is From Bondage to Freedom. And it's something that's close to my heart because um, I've, I've shared a little bit of my testimony, but my testimony is like multifaceted. It is, my man, I, it's, I don't have enough time to really go into it. I'd probably need a book or something, a series, a mini-series, maybe that'll do it. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give you a little background, tell you a little bit about myself. And this is, I'm really being vulnerable, but I'm doing this because the, I need the Holy Spirit to minister through this because I want you to hear the testimony. The Word of God says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. And so even though the things that we go through may not be pretty, um, someone else may need to be able to hear them so that they can understand that they're not alone and that they can come out of the darkness and out of bondage. Amen? Amen. So I was born in 1970, and I was born to... Um, two very young teenagers, unsaved and unwed. So they were just um, a hot mess, and that's their terms, okay? <laughs> they were very, they, they really didn't know what they were doing. I don't know too many parents who really know exactly what they're doing, but they had no clue. I mean, just absolutely none. So my mom had me at 17, and I was almost born in a toilet. So um, she didn't know she was in labor. She was in the hospital and um, didn't understand. This is her first child, so, and she's 17, so not really skilled in what is going on and had the urge to push. And the pushing usually means baby's coming, okay? But not for my mom. My mom thought, I have to go poop. So <laughs> she goes to the restroom and is bearing down, which is something she's not supposed to be doing, but bearing down. And um, I, she's crowning. And for those of you who may not know what crowning is, it means the baby's head is coming out. That's me. So the baby's head is about to come out in the toilet. So the nurse runs in and goes, oh my gosh, what are you doing? Get off of the toilet. <laughs> so they carry her back to the bed and boom, I was born. So I was almost born in a toilet. I was wondering, I asked God, I said, is that like a premonition as to what my life is going to be? <laughs> but no, no, no. Because, you know, God redeems. So it doesn't matter if I was almost born in a toilet. God redeemed me. Amen? Amen. So um, my childhood was very difficult. I endured a lot of uh, neglect, rejection, um, abandonment, um, physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse. So, I mean, I was, um, I can honestly say that my background was uh, a precursor to kind of the hurricane that my life was going to be. Um, my father uh, abandoned my mom and then me, and he started a whole new family which, you know, I, I know now, and I'm so happy for them. And I'm blessed to have more brothers and sisters. But when you're a kid, you don't understand that your father is leaving and starting a whole new family. It's kind of like, what's wrong with me, you know? So he didn't really have very much to do with me, but stepped in my life probably about, uh, maybe about 10, 12, when I was 10 or 12, and took me to church. And so he became 
a minister, uh, Pentecostal minister in the Church of God in Christ. So I don't know if anybody's familiar with Kojic churches, but they believe in holiness or hell. And it's, uh, I got saved on a message of you were going to hell. And it was uh, all hell, fire, and brimstone. And it was explained that you would spend all of eternity there and burning and gnashing of teeth. And just at 12, it was absolutely horrible. I was like, I do not want to go there. <laughs> so sign me up for Jesus because if that keeps me from going to hell, then that's what I want to do. So I know sometimes the sermons on hell are a bit hard to bear, but that saved my life. I'm trying to tell you. And when I got saved, I also got filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking of tongues at 12. And I really, really loved Jesus. You know, there wasn't, I can't explain it, but maybe it was that childlike faith. I just believed that he was the son of God. And I just believed that he saved me. And I believed what the word said. There was no question in my heart as to who he is, what he did for me. And, um, but I lived with my mom. And my mom was into kind of spiritualism. I, I don't know if you know what that is, but it's anything but God. Okay? So she, I remember one time, I'm just going to tell you this story. She'd probably kill me, but it'll be okay. <laughs> so um, I am probably about 13 or 14. I, I stay with my dad on the weekend, so I'm in church. And I started to I preach my first message when I was 14. And so really involved in the church, just kind of immersed in it, loving it. And my mom comes home from going to this, I don't know if it was, I'm trying to think, a spiritualism kind of, um, they were into voodoo. And so she, yeah, so she came home with candles and uh, this powder. Uh, she called it a protection powder. And she sprinkled it all around the, uh, the doors and the windows and everything else. And then she had these masks that uh, hung up in the, the living room. And I slept in the living room so, and on a pulled out couch. So I had these creepy masks kind of staring over me and this powder around the window. And then she bought these candles, weird candles. I don't know if you guys have seen them. They're kind of tall and in, their, in a glass container. Some of them look like they are supposed to have pictures of Jesus on them or saints or whatnot. But that's not always the case. Um, and so those were the candles she brought in the house. And then um, incense and weird stuff she kind of sprinkled in the bathtub. And then, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I don't know if she was making soup in there, but she was in there st <laughs> stewing in there. And there was leaves and flowers and all kinds of stuff. And then she was in there saying some kind of incantations. Now, I'm saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And I know this isn't right. So I'm sleeping in, on the couch, and all of a sudden, the mask lights up. The eyes light up and everything else. And I said, that's it. All this stuff has to go. So I get a great big garbage bag, all the masks, all the candles. And this is in the middle of the night. And sweeping up all this powder and everything. And I am praying and rebuking and binding in the name of Jesus. And so um, I was able to go to sleep. Slept fine, woke up. My mom goes, where's all my stuff? 
I said, it's in the garbage. That's where all of it is. She said, this stuff costs money. I said, I don't care. She said, the stuff I sprinkled was supposed to protect us. I said, the blood of Jesus will protect us. She said, well, I don't know anything about the blood of Jesus. I said, I do. <laughs> and, you know, and as long as you know about the blood of Jesus and you're protecting the household that you're in, it's protected whether they believe in it or not. That's just how powerful the blood is. So that was me as a, as a child, and uh, I, even though I was abused and abandoned, forsaken, and uh, mistreated, I was exposed to the Word of God at a very early age. So I heard about it and believed in it, and it changed my life. It was a seed that was planted deep within my heart. And, you know, sometimes when you are speaking to people about your experiences or about the Word of God, you're dropping seed. It may not always be that you lead that person to the Lord, but the seeds that you are dropping, someone else will come along and water them. They will begin to grow. It may take time, but that seed does not return void. It accomplishes exactly what God set it out to do. Amen. Amen. So um, I was in a non-Christian household the majority of the time. So it was very hard for me to come against. As a child, you know, I, I'm trying to learn how to come against the things that I'm being dealt with on the regular basis. So from um, discovering pornography to being exposed to that to my mom was an avid horror film watcher. She still watches that stuff. I don't get it. So she would, and she would call me in as an early, in an early age, because my mom is 17. Now, pick, I grew up practically with my mom. My mom's 17, and I'm just a little kid. My mom comes, come on, watch this movie with me. It's The Exorcist. You know, it was, I mean, I'm a kid and this head is spinning around and split pea soup is coming out and, and <laughs> And, and the poor priests, I just got to ask you, why in these movies is the man of God the one that's getting beat up and tortured? I have to tell you that the enemy would like you to know that he is bigger and badder and greater, but that's a lie from the pit of hell because he's the father of lies. So he continues to lie to people. I'm trying to tell you he is nothing. When Jesus comes back, Jesus destroys him with the breath of his mouth. He doesn't even waste any time. There is no battle of Armageddon and he's coming against Christ and it's going to, no. It's, and it's over. That's right. <laughs> you know, so that should give you an idea. I mean, even in Isaiah, he talks about, oh, you know, you were supposed to be this and you were supposed to be that. Oh, look at who you really are. I mean, if you really do some research, he is no rival. He is no equal. He's not bigger or badder or greater. He doesn't have more. There's not more demons. There's, there's not, they, they don't outnumber God. They don't outnumber the children of God. They do not outnumber the power and the blood. But in these movies, they magnify that. Why? Because he's in charge of a lot of the media. You know, everything that you're watching and listening to, secular, you know, it's infused with him. And so he's lying to the people, actually, in these movies. The priest is being beat up. The priest is losing faith. The priest is barely making it. I'm here to tell you, that's not the truth, okay? We're not barely making it. 
we have already made it. Okay? We are already victorious. You know, it, it's not about, if you think you're white knuckling it, that's not it. That's all in your mind. I'm trying to tell you we are victorious. You, we need to start becoming what we truly are. We are the righteous one of God. You are children of God. You are bestowed with power and authority. You know, you walk with the you walk with the king of kings, the glorious one, the anointed one, the one that's filled with all power and majesty. Woo-wee! Sometimes I have to remind myself, you know. He is for me. You know, how could I lose? My goodness. So I experienced a lot of rejection, and I'm pretty sure I'm not alone. You know, rejection is really hurtful. It really is. So I went to school. I had uh, big plaits in my hair. So I had real thick hair, and, and they were these gigantic braids. It's totally not in style. And I wore glasses, so I had these thick glasses on. And my mom was on public assistance, so I don't know if you know anything about public assistance glasses, but they're not cute, okay? They were really big and thick like Coke bottles, no polishing, no special tint, nothing to make them look nice. They were not cute. And so I had these great big, like, dookie braids. They looked really huge. And then I got called Medusa, <laughs> four eyes, I mean, octopus girl. I mean, anything that you can think of, yes, I got called all these names. Bullied throughout school because my mom would take me shopping at the Goodwill or the Salvation Army. So my clothes, they were um, hmm, meager. Uh, you could tell that we were uh, poor and didn't really have anything. So I got teased for that. Uh, they called my shoes bobos, and <laughs> they made fun of them because they always, the shoes that, that are marked down like a Kmart, they were kind of knockoffs of uh, Nikes or knockoffs of Adidas. So it was always, you know, if Adidas had three stripes, I only had two. <laughs> you know, Nike's got the swish, I had the swipe. It was just. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> everything that I have was this knockoff. Nothing looked like anybody else. I was always different. And so I was never accepted. I was uh, rejected in school, and I f so I had a lot of anger. I fought a lot because I had a lot of bullies. And if you let bullies get away with it, they, they continue to bully you. So like the enemy, if you let the enemy keep whooping up on you, he'll just keep whooping up on you. You know, you have the power and the authority to make it stop. Okay, but he knows that if you don't know that, he's going to continue to whoop up on you. I'm just telling you, side note, okay? <laughs> so I began to fight a lot. I had a lot of anger. The rejection that you feel from not being accepted by your own family, from not being accepted by friends, not being accepted in school, not being accepted anywhere. It was really hard to deal with. Rejection is very painful. It's a deep kind of seated pain that kind of, it sticks with you. Do you know what I mean? You carry that. And it's the birthplace of insecurity. It, it, it's the birthplace of uh, self-loathing and the birthplace of low confidence and low self-worth. 
So needless to say, I'm abused, rejected, abandoned, forsaken, teased, bullied. I mean, I'm walking through life just hating myself. And I did. I absolutely hated myself. I didn't like the way I looked. I didn't like the way I sounded, the way I talked. Oh, and by the way, growing up uh, in Los Angeles, uh, the color of my skin, I was discriminated against with blacks because I wasn't dark enough and I was too dark for whites. So I hung out with a lot of Mexicans because that was kind of in between. <laughs> so that's where I kind of found my niche was in that. Um, and to be really honest, they didn't care. They called me negarita, which means black girl. So, uh, and it wasn't a derogatory term. I was cool with it. But I mean, just think about that. You're not even accepted by your race, you know? So when I would speak, they said, oh, you, you, you speak white. You speak like white people. And so, and I didn't understand that. I thought English was English. I could be wrong, but I thought English was English. So then I started to kind of listen and I, I picked up the vernacular. So I had to be, I had one vernacular when I was with them and my mom didn't play that, so I couldn't speak that around my mom. So then I couldn't be talking about, oh, I'm fixing to go to the store. My mom was like, you ain't fixing nothing, you know? Or I'm fitting to do this. And my mom said, what is fitting? What is that? It's not even a word, you know? Or don't be axing me that. And she was like, what are, you, are you killing someone with an axe? What is that? <laughs> you know? She said, just ask, ask. You know, I was like, oh, okay, you know? But I knew that, you know? And so, <laughs> I'm so sorry because I remember those days. Oh my gosh. Completely confused. Do you hear me? So, speaking one way, speaking another around this people, and then I would have to dress a certain way around this people to try to be accepted, dress another way when I went to church, dress another way when I went to school, dress another way when I went outside to play. I was thoroughly confused. Okay? Oh, man, I was a hot mess. But that's okay, because God specializes in hot messes. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. So as I start to mature into adulthood, I overindulged in my fleshly desires. And I'll explain what that means. Now, I turned uh, 21, and in my family, when you turn 21, you go to the club and you go drinking. That's just a rite of passage, you know? And so my mom came, and... <laughs> Yeah, I'm out in the bar with my mom. And I remember one incident, I'm out with her and um, I come in the bathroom with her and her girlfriend. I was like, mom, I, 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 I can't wait to, to go on the dance floor. I can't wait to you know, introduce you to some people I know. And she turned to me and she said, don't call me mom, call me Heidi. And I was like, why? It's just, I'm too, I'm too young to have someone your age as my daughter. I was like, oh, snap. So for the longest time, my mom was Heidi. It wasn't mom anymore. And I don't know if you understand what that does because that even further separates you from your mom, further separates you from your family. And it just reiterates the fact that you're not wanted, you're not accepted, you don't belong. And that's a hard message to grow up with. So I have all this pain and trauma that I'm walking with. So what do you do when you don't know any better 
because now I'm not going to church on a regular basis. I'm not reading my Bible, and I've got all this hurt and trauma. So the world tells you, have a drink, pop a pill. I don't know if you're, when you're watching television shows, everything surrounds around drinking. You notice that? You know, if you're celebrating, let's pop open something, champagne or whatever, let's have a drink. Um, if you're sad, let's have a drink. On television, people who are in business transactions, they have bars in their office, and everybody's got the little glasses, and they're having a drink. So it's, I don't, it's just kind of subliminal. It's being taught to you over and over and over again. Have a drink. And if that doesn't work, pop a pill. You know? If that doesn't work, try this pill. Have the doctor prescribe you this, or get something off the street. And if that doesn't work, smoke this. You know, smoking this, this will make you forget all about stuff. Or do this line. How about that? Let's try that. So needless to say, and I'm being very vulnerable, I've tried all kinds of stuff. I tried it all. I tried anything I could to try and feel the hole in my heart. I was so desperately hurting. I was so traumatized and so hurt. And no one seemed to be able to show me the way out. Instead, they wanted to dig the tunnel deeper. Let's go deeper. Let's try more stuff. Let's do more. You know? And so then you hate yourself so much. You dive into promiscuity. You uh, start dating people that you wouldn't normally date. You go places you wouldn't normally go. Because you don't have any self-worth. You don't care about yourself. Because no one else does. So why do you? Now, all this stuff is baggage. You start accumulating these bags. And by this time, I was weighted down and very heavy. And so I forgot who I was. I forgot God. I want to tell you something, that even though when I forgot God, the Holy Spirit that's on the inside of you is a deposit and what it does is it seals your spirit. So it sealed my spirit at 12. No sin could enter that part of my spirit. It could enter my body. It could enter my will. It could enter my soul. But my spirit is sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, granted, the Holy Spirit was still in me. I need you to understand this. Holy Spirit still in me but quenched. Quench, to give you an idea, is I basically sat him in the corner and tied him up with duct tape and sealed his mouth. That's quenched. He was still there, waiting for the moment that I turned to him. Because he's a gentleman and he's not going to fight against me. And I have free will. And I chose to sin. And he doesn't operate in sin. So he was still with me. I forgot. I forgot who I was. I forgot about God. I forgot that I was his beloved. And instead, I took on the labels of what everybody else spoke over me, what they said about me. And I mean, I've had some horrible things said about me. I'm pretty sure you have too. I'm pretty sure in your life somebody has said some unpleasant and unlovely things to you. And if they haven't said it to you, they said it about you or behind your back or to other people. 
They've assassinated your character. They've maybe lied on you, you know, misrepresented you. That stuff hurts, and it causes a gaping hole. And that's what I had in me was a hole that I was desperately trying to fill. I want to talk about types of bondage. Because uh, sometimes when I, when I talk about stuff like this, people sit in the congregation and say, oh, well, I've never did drugs or alcohol, so that doesn't apply to me. That's just one type of bondage. Let me tell you, the enemy has many. <laughs> and if that particular, if drugs and alcohol is like trying on clothing, if that particular garment doesn't fit you, don't worry, he's got something else. He's got something else to fit you. Um, if that doesn't fit you, then fear and excessive worry could fit you. That's a type of bondage. Irrational panic. That's a type of bondage. I've worn that before. How about excessive shopping? Ooh. Got a little quiet, huh? I've done that too. Impulse buying? You know you don't need it, but you get it anyway. Shoes, clothing, bling. Yeah, I've done it. No doggone well, my bank account said, no. <laughs> you don't have no money. But I bought it anyway, you know, and it hurt me in the end. You know what I'm saying? You, you're spending money on things that you, you really shouldn't. You're not being responsible. That's bondage, you know, overeating. Come on now, I know I'm not the only one. I love cookies. I am a serious cookie monster. Late at night, it's me and cookies. And it all depends on what mood I'm in. It might be chocolate chip. Oh, I like the fruit. Oh, I like shortbread cookies. Oh my God. Whew. And I like the little chessmen from, what is that, Pepperidge Farm? Okay, and then I discovered, I recently discovered the shortbread that have the, like, the, the um, fruit filling in it. Apricot raspberry. Oh, whole package, gone in one day. Yeah, overeating, stress eating. Yeah, that, that, I've tried that on, worn that. Uh, pornography, lust, promiscuity. That might be your garment. Or you might have worn it at some time. The enemy will give you a lovely wardrobe of all of these garments, and you can interchange them if you want to, but it's all bondage. How about gossip? You're awfully quiet in here. Gossip is when you tell something you know you shouldn't. You should keep your mouth shut. When you're assassinating the character of another individual, that's gossip. You're telling and spreading their most secret and intimate things that they came and told you in confidence. And I love it because, I love this part, not the gossip, I don't love that, but okay. I love how sometimes, and I'm saying love ironically, I love how in the church we'll disguise gossip as a prayer request. Oh, come on now. <laughs> you know, you will tell somebody, oh, well, so-and-so's going through this and this, that, and the other, we're going to pray for her. You could have just said, we need to pray for so-and-so. You don't have to tell so-and-so's business. You don't have to tell Sally's business. You don't have to tell them that Sally's going through something really horrible and, you know, in her marriage and maybe things might be over. You don't have to tell that. You could just say, Sally really needs our prayer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because the Holy Spirit intercedes. Amen. 
He intercedes. You can speak in your prayer language and pray for Sally. You don't need to tell Sally's business, but a lot of people do. And they disguise it under, well, we're going to pray for you. Okay, see? I, I, I know, I know this is helping somebody. I know it. Gambling. Gambling is bondage, you know? I've seen, oh, I do not like to go to the casino. I like to go to Las Vegas, you know why? I like the lights. I'm a light person, so the whole time. <laughs> wow. Oh, look at this one. Wow, but I am not a gambler. You know why? I just can't give my money away. And that's what you do, you give your money away for free, you know? And they just come in and scoop it right off the table. You know, and I'm looking like, I played blackjack once. And she came and took my chips off the table. I was like, it was five minutes. I lost $40 in five minutes. That was it for me. I was like, I was, but gambling. And that could be lottery. You can scratch tickets. You can go to the casino. Bondage. Because you're spending God's resource. God gave you that money to be able to not only meet your needs, but to be able to be an overflow and to help others. He didn't give it to you to give it to a slot machine or to sit down at a casino or to play, play lottery. God's not into gambling. God's a sure thing. He's not into gambling. Workaholic. Yeah. You know, society encourages that. And so you can lose yourself in your business and working, 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 working. They got this dude on TV, um, and uh, his catchphrase is, where the money reside. They want to go, where the money resides, where the money resides. And after, I mean, if you really think about it, his saying is he wants to go where the money lives. And they're preaching this to our young kids. And, it, you know, and they're saying this over and over again, chasing money. I got to get my hustle on. God's not into hustling. God said he'd provide all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Amen. He said if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all things will be added unto you. I'm just saying. He's the great Jehovah Jireh. You don't need to be chasing after money. He said he'll provide for you. Amen? Amen. Lying. Lying is a form of bondage. Once you start lying, it's so hard to get out and to stop it. I used to be a compulsive liar in my 20s, and one day I said, you know what, I think I'm just gonna tell the truth. It's a lot easier. It really is. You got to remember all them lies you tell, you know? And my memory's just not that good. So truth, put on the belt of truth. Let truth be uh, your undergarment, amen? amen? You know, be ruled by it. Vanity, insecurity, depression. Insecurity and depression, those were my garments for a long time, and I still struggle with those. Um, Ladies like to go back and try on clothes. We'll keep stuff. And if we grow out of it, spread a little bit, we'll put it away. And then if we think we've lost some weight, we'll pull it out and try it on. It's like that with bondage. God delivers you from insecurity and depression. And all of a sudden, the garment is not fitting. But lo and behold, something happens. And you go back and pick the garment up and try it on. And now you're depressed and oppressed and, oh, downcast my soul. You know? But God came to deliver you and give you garments of praise. He came to give you some sweet robes of righteousness. Hallelujah. Yes. Woo! 
Bondage results when you put anything or anyone in God's place. Well, it got quiet. If you put anyone or anything in God's place, it becomes bondage. And you can substitute that for anything that you want. But if it's coming before God, you're in bondage. And you need deliverance out of that. Because he says he wants to be first. He says he's a jealous God. And that he would have no other gods before him. He's not sharing place. You understand that? And that's, that's, that was a hard lesson for me to understand. With the alcohol, the alcohol was my friend. When I was depressed, I drank. It was my friend. When I was happy, I drank. We brought in lots of celebrations with alcohol. And it can be anything. You can substitute it with anything. I did everything with this guy. And one day, I had to look at it and say, you know, it's time for us to break up. Because the relationship isn't working for me. I want to go higher in the Lord and you can't come. Some things you got to break off and say, you can't come with me. Where I'm going, I'm going higher and deeper in the Lord and you can't come. Because you weigh me down and I need to be light as a feather. He says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. You can shed this yoke. So I got a question for you. When you're in crisis and surrounded by chaos or fear and something bad happens, what do you run to? I know something just popped in your mind. You call a friend for guidance. You complain on Facebook. You've seen those vents. People just tell all their business. They're real pissed off and everything else. Venting on Facebook. You know, uh, do you binge on sweets and cookies? That was mine. Do you take a pill? Do you, uh, do you eat your favorite comfort food? Do you binge on a TV show for hours? Lose yourself in it. Tune everything out. Do you lose yourself in the social media platform of your choosing? Are you on TikTok? Are you on Snapchat or Lickety Lock? Whatever they call that stuff nowadays. <laughs> you know, I better not speak too loudly. That might come about. <laughs> <laughs> you sleep in your day away. That used to be me. I would sleep my day away because I didn't want to face things. It was easier just to crawl in the bed. And the bed is actually one of my favorite places to be. So it wasn't hard. You know, do you work out excessively? I know people who just dive into working out just hours and hours and hours. And it seems like a good thing to do, but when it comes before God, it's not. So, let's talk about bondage real quick. It's nothing new. Genesis tells the story of the Israelites who were in bondage in Egypt. They cried out to God and he heard them and then he delivered them. Let's talk about Moses. Moses was a murderer fleeing for his life. He was abandoned by the only family he knew. He was alone, insecure, and fearful. Sound like bondage? Mm-hmm. So much so when God did call him to a task, he told the Lord that he wasn't a very good speaker. Why? Because he was insecure. Bondage. And so the Lord made provision for him, but the Lord seen in him a great leader. The Lord seen in him who he truly is. The Lord sees in you who you truly are. And he is waiting for you to become that person, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
keeping your mind steadfast on him, meditating on the word day and night. Oh, glory to God. Paul, this is one of my favorites. Paul wrote over two-thirds of the Bible in the New Testament. And he writes about, in Romans chapter 7, 15 and 18, and I'm going to read this out of the CEV version. It says, in fact, I don't understand why I act the way I do. I don't do what I know is right. I do the things I hate. Sound like bondage? He goes on to say, I know that my selfish desires won't let me do anything that's good. Even when I want to do what's right, I cannot. I don't know about you, but I struggle with that a lot. And this is Paul. Paul was a great apostle. And he was struggling. Amen? Amen. So it's not, bondage is not something that you won't be tempted with. But know that in God, he says he provides a means of escape. There's always a way out. Amen? Amen. So my story, I can't believe I'm going to share this, but I was actually in a jail cell. I was alone. And don't worry, I'm not a felon or anything horrible. Uh, it was a jail cell for... Um, it's like a psychiatric jail cell. It's, it's, it's when you try to kill yourself. And you're in a suicide smock, so you have nothing on but this big green thing that Velcro's on, and it's cold, and you're alone in this observation kind of room. And it was there, in that room, that I cried out. The word says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So in that moment, in my desperation, I cried out to him. Now, you might not be as desperate as me. Your situation might not be as dire as a jail cell. But you might not also be walking in complete freedom. Your prayers may be ineffective. You may have sin in your life and not realize it. You may have bondage and you don't understand that you are bound. But I'm here to tell you that I know a man. I know a man who came to set the captives free. He came to set all the captives free. And don't get it twisted. It's not just for the unbeliever. It's for the believer too. We got many brothers and sisters in Christ who are bound. And they don't understand that they are. But when they lay hands upon people, they're ineffective. When they're praying for folks, I'm not saying God doesn't hear their prayers. I'm saying that they're ineffective. They are ineffective vessels. They have a form of religion but deny its power. And I'm saying that the bondage is keeping children of God from pressing on and from doing the signs and wonders that God said will follow those that believe. So, as I said, I called out to him and I remembered Romans 10 and 13. For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And in that moment, I was saved. He came in and rescued me, changed my life. Now, I'm not saying it was easy by any means. Once I got released from jail, I still had 
bondage in my life. I still was dealing with self-loathing. I still was dealing with depression. The alcohol was still talking to me. It was screaming louder than anything else. I remember a time being in Safeway and standing there and it was just yelling at me. The enemy was just yelling at me to do these things. Kind of like what Paul was talking about. And I wanted to do what was right but couldn't. But I had prayed. I knew that I was delivered. But the manifestation had not occurred yet in the physical. But I had faith. I knew that this wasn't my life. I knew that this alcohol was not who I am. I knew that this depression and oppression was not who God created me to be. Even though I still felt it, it wasn't who I am. It's not who you are. God is not depressed, by the way. God is full of joy. And the board says that you have the mind of Christ. So you have the same mind as him. God did not give you a spirit of fear. He gave you a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. It takes renewing your mind. You need to go in the word and water yourself with the word. Renew yourself over and over and over again. It doesn't stop. I need you to understand that there's a war going on. I need you to understand that the war is a battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. I like this out of the Passion. It says, your hand-to-hand combat. You get that? That means you're in close contact with it. It's not far away. It's hand-to-hand. So your hand-to-hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. In short, that means that you're dealing with spiritual wickedness in high places. Okay? For they are powerful, a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. You understand that? Bondage. This physical world is governed by a spiritual force. You're either governed by the kingdom of God or you're governed by the kingdom of darkness. That's just the way that it is. And that those spiritual realms govern this physical realm. You're either cooperating with God or you are cooperating with Satan. It's just that simple. I need you to understand the war is between the spirit of truth and the father of lies. The spirit of truth is the Holy Spirit. The father of lies is the devil. The war is between the prophets of God and the false prophets of the Antichrist. I need you to understand that you have a real adversary. I need you to know that he hates you. He wants to destroy you. He hates everything that is of God, and you were made in God's image. So he's going to come after you with everything he's got. When you get saved, it's not a bed of roses. It's fight, fight, fight. Every day, fight, fight, fight. I need you to understand that. He said that you would have trials and tribulations. 
but that he overcame the world, and in him you would overcome it too. So I come to bring you hope. Hallelujah. How can you break the chains of bondage? How can you obtain freedom from the enemy and his agents? How can you defeat this foe? How do you do it? First of all, you have to out-truth the enemy. Do you understand? You have to out-truth the enemy. The word of God is the truth. It's the truth that will set you free. It's the sword, the sharp two-edged sword. It's the only thing that the enemy understands. When Jesus combated Satan, he combated him with, it is written. There is no begging and pleading with the enemy. Give him the word. When you give him the word, he cannot stand against it. He has to flee. The word is the only thing that the enemy understands. So you need to know what the word says concerning the bondage that you're facing. Let's look at John, the eighth chapter, verse 32. It says, for if you embrace the truth, it will release true freedom into your lives. True freedom. There is freedom in Christ. There is freedom from bondage. There is freedom. There's hope. There is a way out. And I'm trying to tell you the word of God is the way out. You cannot make it in this life without reading your Bible. I'm sorry to tell you, but that's just the truth. The next thing, number two. So number one is know what the word of God says concerning the bondage that you're facing. So find a scripture, stand on it, because the word of God is the only thing it understands. Number two, believe what the word says. Believe it. Believe who the word says that you are. Let's look at John, the 14th chapter in the 6th verse. Jesus explained, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes next to the Father except through union with me, cooperation with me, partnership with me. To know me is to know my Father too. So I am the way and the truth. He is the truth. John also talked about how the Word became flesh. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is truth. Number three says, declare what the Word says. So you need to speak it over yourself. God gave you the power to speak things into existence, to call those things that be not as though they are. To speak the word over your life, to speak the word over your children, over your family, over your co-workers, over your job. He calls us to speak those things. Matthew, the 10th chapter and the 20 verse out of the easy version. I kind of like that version. If you guys haven't looked at it, the U version has all different kinds. The easy is a pretty good version. Break stuff down. Take a look at it. It says, you will not be speaking your own words. The Holy Spirit of your Father God will give you his own words to say. So you don't even have to come up with things to say. He gives you the word. All you got to do is speak it, read it, know it, believe it. That's all you have to do. 
next one is number four. Whatever you're believing God for, act like his word is true. Act like you already received it. Woo! James chapter 2 verse 17 says, So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. It's not enough to have faith. It's not enough. It says, it's unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Another version says, faith without works is dead. You have to apply it. Whatever you believe in God, act like the word is true. The last one, number five, stand firm in the truth. Don't waver. Don't give up. Don't waver. Help is on the way. He says he's an ever-present help in times of trouble. If you're in trouble, he says he'll be there. The wind and the waves still know his name. My last scripture is James, the fourth chapter, seventh and the eighth verse is also in the easy. It says, so obey God's authority. Be strong against the devil and he will run away from you. He'll run. Another version says, submit under the mighty hand of God. Resist the devil and he will flee. He'll run. Hallelujah. And the eighth, come near to God and he will come near to you.